survey on Easter because that's when y'all you guys show up and we give you a list of topics and say, hey, what would you like to hear a message on? What are you struggling with in your life? What would you like to get better at? And then we pull from those and put this series together. And last week we did what was our number one and it went from number five to number one over a span of about two years. And if you missed last week, we talked about forgiveness. And it may be telling of the status of our relationships if forgiveness and holding unforgiveness goes to number one. Because, like I said last week, forgiveness is at the very core of the gospel. It is what God did for us. And the Bible very clearly says, if you don't forgive those who sinned against you, then I'm not, I'm, I'm not forgiving you. So it's, very, it's a very foundational part. Now, the topic for week two is this, marriage. So number one was unforgiveness. Number two was marriage. Now, are those things tied together? You know, Mel and I kind of giggled about it and wondered, but the more I begin to think about it, I begin to wonder, are they really connected? Because now you have two pieces of the gospel that are foundational. If you don't know this, the Bible uses the image and the picture of marriage, man leaving his his, mo- his mother being joined with his wife as a picture of what Jesus did for us, as a picture of our relationship with God. So here week one, we're struggling with the thing that Jesus came to do for us, which is bring us forgiveness. And then number two was marriage. And this past year, if I'm not mistaken, was one of our largest sample sizes of everybody that was at church. And these two end up at the top. You know, the devil wants to destroy lives of unforgiveness, but he also wants to attack marriages. And if you don't believe that, just look around. Maybe in your own life you can say, yeah, I'm a, I can testify to, to what the devil does to marriages. That I had a, a friend that we did counseling with years ago, and it's this lady, she came and she said, I think I figured it out. I said, what? I said, how to make a marriage work. I said, great. She said, what? She goes, I got to forget my other. I was like, your other what? She was like, my six other marriages. I was like, well, I mean, there is, there's a lot of truth to it because I tell people, if you're going into, you know, a second relationship and there's circumstances around that, and I'm not here to judge that one way or another, but I know if, if you have relationship number two, there's only one common factor between relationship number one and relationship number two. Anybody want to guess what that is? You. So you might be the problem. But the devil just loves to tear apart marriages because, again, it affects how we see God. It affects how your children see God, how they see God as a father. That the numbers, I tried to find some current numbers, and they're so overwhelming I couldn't even find them, about how many kids grow up today with, with no father in the house. And in the black community, it's significantly higher. Now, why that is, I don't know. I'm not a sociologist, but I just know it's not how God designed the family and designed us to live. That marriage is the image that God uses to show the Jesus relationship with us. I want to show it to you in the Bible. It says here in Ephesians, it says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and joined to his wife. And the two, say this with me, and the two are united into one. See, that's what we, we lose sight of that the Bible says when when we, become, when we come to Jesus, that he brings us into his one. 
that when man and wife are married, God doesn't see them as A and B. He sees them as one. And we, we lose sight of this. It goes on to say in Ephesians here that this is a great mystery, but illustration. Ooh, I cut out there. But it's all an illustration of the way the church and the Christ are one, are together. Now let me show it to you in the Old Testament, and I'll explain this one. It says, never again will you be called, and I highlighted the words behind me there, never will you be called the forsaken, the forgotten about, or the desolate, the empty, the alone, that you will be called the city of God, of God's delight, and the bride of of God. God's not saying you're no longer going to be alone and desolate and poor and and not cared for. You're now going to be part of my city and it's going to I'm going to smile that you're going to be so close to me as be like a a bride on his our wedding day. It goes on to say for the Lord delights in you and he will claim you as his bride. You see our problem is this. We don't look at this idea of marriage the same. We don't look at it um, as a commitment. It goes on in, in verse, let me go to verse, yeah, there we go, verse five. Your children will commit themselves to you. O Jerusalem, as a young man commits himself to his bride, then God will rejoice over you as, his, as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride. See, those, that word commit means something totally different today than what the Bible means. Because our problem is this. Commitment here today is only commitment as long as it lasts when, you had, when the feeling you made lasts, right? right? I make a commitment, I'm going to do this. If you don't believe me, wait till January, right? <laughs> We're all fat and happy from the holidays, November to December. We all say, I'm going to do better. We join the gym, we order the latest graded. You know, some of y'all know this, some of y'all remember got the ab flex, I mean the flex thing that the, what's her name, Summers would put between her legs and squeeze, like that was, somehow you could squeeze this thing with your knees and your whole body just gets ripped. We buy those, I'm committed, right? I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get the bands and we're going. What happens a week later? They're in the bottom of the closet. The treadmill's got laundry hanging on it, right? It's, y'all are laughing because some of y'all got treadmills and ellipses, right? And it's just the place to hang clothes now. Because that, but that represents our, our marriages, our life, our relationships. Because if you've been married, Melanie and I are in our 25th year. Next July, we'll be married 25 years. And I, I love my marriage. I've got a great marriage. But let me tell you something. It don't feel like it did the day we got married. It didn't feel like it that day, two days later. Why? Because we're human. And our commitment changes. You get out of the honeymoon phase. But see, the Bible actually sees a marriage as what's called a covenant. A covenant is much bigger, especially in the Jewish uh, community, in the Jewish line of thought, is a much bigger deal than just a marriage and a certificate. It was such a thing to them that part of the Jewish the Old Testament Jewish marriage ceremony, they would actually make a sacrifice. My understanding is they would literally take a cow and cut it in half, lay it out at the front of the church, their synagogue, whatever you know, we'll call it, 
And then part of, part of what they do is that the would-be bride and groom join hands and actually walk through the middle of the sacrifice. What they're saying is, you sure you want to do this? Because once we walk through here, if we break this covenant, may it be to us what just happened to this cow. Now, I don't know about you. I've done a lot of weddings and dealt with a lot of wedding planners and some weird wedding planners. But never have I come and had the wedding planner go, you know what would be cool? You got a cow? We're going to cut that baby in half. and we're No. I mean, how many wedding venues? Like, no, you're not bringing a dead cow into our venue. We don't even think that way. Even joking. But see, that's the way the Bible says it, it sees this covenant together. That our feelings, our commitment is feeling-based. That our, our problem in, is in commitment. It's feeling-based. And we have, we have plan B in a space in our lives where there shouldn't be no plan B. I read this story. For those of you who know me, I love aviation. I love to fly. I've always wanted to finish my pilot's license. So if y'all want to donate toward it, I'll take it. But I can't afford it. It's too expensive. <laughs> So I, I was reading an article a while back about a, a guy who was an F-16 pilot. And he talked about, he was asked the question, how do you guys fly so close together and not crash? If you've ever seen the Blue Angels fly, they fly 12 inches apart at 380, 500 miles an hour. That close. Literally that close. And the pilot said, well, the way we do it is the plane in front of us, we have a reference point. A, he literally said a screw, a bolt, or something on the bottom of the airplane. And he said, when I see that, when I'm flying, I'm watching that. I'm not looking at my controls. I'm not looking at my screen. I'm flying, and I'm watching that one point. And this guy was looking like this. And he flies like that. And he said, because when we fly into bad weather, we fly into something that goes wrong, and, the, and things go wrong. It's, it's hard when it's normal, but it's even harder when something goes wrong. We cannot take our eyes off of that point. And he looks at it. And he said, and then he finished his statement. This is what he said. He said, I'm committed to follow that reference point. That once we take off, once you walk through the dead cow, I got a reference point. And he said, I can't lose sight of it. And then he was asked the question, what happens if you, don't, if you lose it? He said, if our commitment to that point ever wavers, we will not survive. I dare say any of us have taken into, gone into a relationship with that attitude. If I take my eyes off the point, we're not going to survive. And if you look at today's statistics, it's a lot more chance you're not going to survive a relationship than you will make it. Because you take your eyes off the point if it wavers. Let me show you what Peter says. This is Peter says this to Jesus. The, the disciples, things had gotten tough with Jesus and the world was coming against him. And disciples outside of the 12, that was furthest away, began to leave. And like, I'm not doing this. There's too much pressure. I'm out. And, and then Jesus asked his close 12. He said, after the lot of his disciples left, they were no longer wanting to be around Jesus. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. Do you want to leave? And look what Peter says. Peter replied, Master, to whom could we go? that you have the words of real eternal life. And look at this line. We've already committed ourselves 
confident that you're the one. Right? You're, they said, and we're committed to this. It's, it, I don't hear that anymore. I don't think Melanie and I are special, but over you know, the last 13 years, we've met with a lot of couples. And with God's grace, we're batting pretty good. Some didn't make it. But I've noticed this all because the question is, maybe not, maybe not that you're committed, but you've lost, you've lost sight of your point, the things you follow, the example. So what I want to do today, over the, I'm just gonna, next 15, 20 minutes, and I'm just going to give you five. I'm going to give you five images, commitments that God made to us. Because remember that our marriage is supposed to be a, a, a representative of what God's done to us. His commitment to me should be my commitment to Melanie. Now let me push pause right there for a minute. Because I want to be very, very clear. And as serious as I can get. Let me push pause. I am not under any circumstances saying that this has anything to do with an abusive physical and abusive mental and abusive emotional relationship. If you're in that and you can't get out, you come to us. I'll help you get out. So what I had a friend of mine whose daughter was in a dating relationship and she couldn't get out. She said, I just, I can't send, she wanted to send him a text. So I took her phone, typed in, hey, this is, told him who I was, so-and-so, don't bother calling back. Send. And it took a little more intervention than that because this dude was determined. So I want to be clear. But I do say on the other side of this, I do believe God can heal marriages. I've watched God heal a marriage that everyone around said, that will never work. You don't know what that person's done. You don't know how many times they've done it. This is the fourth, fifth, whatever. Mess, I mean, marriage or time. I truly believe and we've watched it. So if you're in the room or you're watching online and you're thinking today, well, he doesn't know my situation. I can't do this. I can't make it work. Let me tell you something. You're right. You can't. The only thing you can do is find that bolt or that screw on that airplane and go, okay, God, here we go. Well, I'm going to watch it. Well, God, the plane just turned upside down. Well, guess what you need to do? Turn yourself upside down. That marriage for this becomes, becomes this hokey pokey. God said, okay, turn yourself around. I got it. Right foot in, okay, I got it. Left foot in, okay, I got, I'm following you. What's well, going to get bumpy? Don't take your eyes off that bolt. Don't move. I'm not saying this is going to be easy, but I know that you can't do it without God. And God says, I've never meant for the Bible just to be something you just quote and quote and quote. God said, I want to write the word on your heart. Why? Because if, when it's in your heart, it's as close to you, <clears throat> excuse me, it's as close to you as you can get and you can live it and you can understand his commitment to us. And when you understand those commitments, so I want to give you these things, how God can do it through you. I'm going to give them to you and what God's committed to you. Then we'll, then we'll tag it on what that means to us. The first one is God says, I commit to give you all 
that I have. Well, God didn't give me everything because I've got lack in my life. No, no, no. You've got more than you should have. And the Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, that we love each other. Why? Because he first loved us. Even when you were a mess, he loved you. Even when you were nowhere and even acknowledging God existed, he came to you. It goes on in verse in 4.10, you back up a little bit, that this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, his only son. So God gave everything. When it came to you, he, he took all his chips and he said, I'm pushing them all in. And he sent Jesus for us. You see, the same should be for our spouses. And it's going to look like a lot of different things depending on the situation, really depending on how, how long you've been married. Or, but your spouse needs to know you're all in. I didn't have this in my notes, but I've said this before. That for here, before I do a wedding, any wedding, first time, seventh time, hopefully not seventh time, before I do that, we call you in, you sit in the office, typically Melanie does the first couple counseling sessions, and you have to be able to look us in the eye and say, I'm taking the word divorce out of my vocabulary. Are we ignorant and naive that stuff happens in a real world? No, we're not ignorant, nor naive. But if you have the tool in your bag, you're going to use it. So we say, let's take that out. Because there's a lot of people smacking each other upside the head with clubs that they shouldn't even have in their, in their bag. God says, I'm not even taking that. I'm going all in. And he even did it before we were even around. So you have to ask your question, yourself this question. Am I giving my all? Why? Because my spouse deserves the same priority that God gave me. Do I do it all the time? Ain't no way. I was not going to stand here as, as a man, as your pastor, and, and lie. No, I messed it up. But that's my commitment to do my best. That's priority number one. It's God and then my wife. Some of y'all, by the way, need to come back next week because we're going to talk about the third in that priority. God, wife, kids. So I may have an empty house next week. We're going to talk. Funny enough, that's number three. Forgiveness, marriage, and kids. You tell me God, that the devil's not attacking our family. My spouse deserves the same priority. Number two, I commit to be with you always. And remember taking that club out. I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to forget the word. Why? Because if you have a plan B, you'll use it. The Bible says, God said, I, where you go? This is actually David writes this in Psalms. He's talking to God and he says, God, where can I go? Where can I run from your presence that you're not there? And he even gives an example in verse 8. He says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I screw my life up and I find myself in the pit of hell, guess what? You're there. Anybody felt like they have sitting in a pit of hell? Anybody had life go like, this is, God, you can't be here? Well, no, no. The Bible very clearly says, even when you dig the own hole, this is what, this is what should give you help and grace and excitement about working it out. The Bible says even when you dig your own hole and you jump in the hole, that the God who had nothing to do with it still jumps in the hole with you, that he's there with you. 
Clint, you don't know my marriage. You don't know the hate, the anger, the terrible things we've said to each other, the things we've done in front of our kids. No, I may not know, but whether you like it or not, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit and God's like, yeah, we're here. I don't like it. He's not happy about it, but he's there. He's with us. So to our spouse, to our family, you need to ask yourself, look at verse 28, sorry, Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus says, can you answer this? And do you believe this about God? Because if you don't believe about God, it's going to be hard to live it out yourself. Jesus says, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end. So you ask, your question, ask yourself this question. Am I keeping a plan B in my pocket? If we're honest, a lot of us are. Even if it's mentally, we thought through, okay, if my wife leaves or my, my husband leaves or somebody, I'm on my own, I can do, I can make it this way, I can do it that way. You've, you've planned it out. If you've gotten to that point, you need to come talk to us. It's a very dangerous place to live and at least be able to identify what made me think that so I can get back and begin to heal whatever side of this marriage is hurting. Am I keeping plan B? Revelation 3.20, if you want to jot it down, I didn't give it to your notes. 3.20 is the verse that says that Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That even, even when your spouse or maybe you, maybe you've shut the door, um, I don't know, I just, it's one of my favorite shows and I see it all the time, but this is, <laughs> remember the show, if you've watched the show Big Bang? Anybody remember Big Bang Theory? Yep. Come on, my generation, come on. Yes. Remember when Sheldon goes to the door, he goes. He has to do it three times, right? I just imagine that God's out there, Clint, 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 I'm still here, I'm not going to wait, Clint. I'm on the other side of the door thinking to your spouse, whoever it is, I hate you. I don't want to talk to you. Maybe you're embarrassed because you're the one that messed up, but there's still, the Bible says, God's knocking on the door. That if God will do that for us, why can't we at least do that for our spouse? So you begin to, to ask, these, ask yourself these questions. And it, do, you, do you offer them the same thing that God has offered you? that I commit myself to not having a plan B. I commit myself to, to be here, that even when you mess up, I'm going to be here. You know, it's like with your kids, and we'll talk about this next week. And we say, well, kids don't like rules. We got to let them stretch their wings. And no, you got to put them on a racetrack and give them some rules and some guidelines and that to me is so much more freeing knowing I'm in this safe spot under my parents or under, under this authority than just running wild, wondering when the next thing is going to hit me. I think the same is true in our marriages, that I give you a, I give you a safe place that I'm going to be with you always. That leads to number three, that I commit to you to give you a place to belong. I'm always going to be here I'm always going to have a, give you a place. We tell this to our kids, right? Yet some of us don't live it out with our, with our spouses. Now, again, nowhere in this am I saying 
that we are condoning or approving a bad behavior. But if there's somebody in the room who hasn't done something wrong, then you need to come up here and teach. And I would probably call you a liar because all, we all have. That you give somebody, a, you give them a place saying, I'm always going to be there, then you give them a place to belong. God says to us this in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, you are a chosen people. In other words, he chose us. And get your big britches and think you're special. He chose you. You're on the playground of eternity, and God says, I'm going to choose this group. And I've opened all of my life. I've given you everything. I've committed to always be here, and now I'm going to give you a place to belong. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, so now, because I've chosen you, now I can't condemn you. I can correct you. I can rebuke you. I can help you grow. As we would say, I can help you take one step from where you are and help you get better and get closer to me, but I'm not going to condemn you. And when we meet with people and we talk, the first thing they say is they want to render judgment, verdict, and condemnation. Does it make it any more wrong? No. Does it make it any better? No. And God's not doing that to us, and we wonder why in our marriages... And again, please hear me. I'm going to say this again. I'm not talking about taking stuff that's abusive, take, you know, those kind of the things that are wrong. We're not condoning them. But at the same time, we're saying, I'm not perfect either. That God says that in this, in Romans 8, you go down a few verses to 15, it says that God's Spirit adopted you as His own children. And you're so close to Him now, you can look at Him and call Him Father. And it made me think about the closeness and the proximity and how many marriages of people are so far apart that they could call out the name, Melanie, scream, and they can't hear you. Why? Because we've let this distance grow. We're not living, we're not giving people a place to belong, not giving them a place where, where they can say, I can always come home to. Are you, I need to ask yourself this question. Am I shutting you out? Now, if your spouse is in the room, don't jab anybody, okay? Because there are lots of different ways this happens. The shutting out, there's the, anybody have a spouse that gets the silent treatment? Like you'll get angry and it's like. Whoosh. This drives me up the wall. Like I forget what we're arguing about and it's, I'm doing everything I can do to get a reaction now. Right? Mabel, my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter sitting on the front row, and I know I aggravate her because when I ask her something and she doesn't give me any reaction, I keep going until I start I'm poking and tickling, right? And then Melanie will go, Mabel, if you'll just tell him what he wants to know, he'll leave you alone. Because I, I just don't stand there and stare at me. Answer the question. Give me some feedback. Right? We shut each other out. This other of us, we don't go quiet. You do the opposite. You don't shut up. Yeah. Like, I want to find a shoe and go, <clears throat> like, I've been, we've been in counseling sessions. Okay, what's going on? And one person, all they needed was the flag go. And they're in fifth, sixth gear. And I'm looking at the, the spouse and they're like, so and I've said, like, pause. 
stop, don't talk, let this person talk. And then, of course, that's the person that shuts out and doesn't say anything. Yeah, what, what he said. So we're shutting each other out, and the Bible, the Bible says, I'm going to be where you are, I'm going to go where you are. There's nothing you can do that when you call to my name, I'm not going to go, yes. Remember, there's a, te- there's a story in the Old Testament where they're training who would become a young prophet. And the, he's laying in bed and the, God calls out and he gets up and runs to the guy in charge and says, hey, what's... And he, and he keeps going, I didn't call you. And he keeps going back and forth and finally he realizes it's God. Yeah. See, the Bible he said, now what do you do that last time? When he calls out to you, answer. Right. See, a lot of us don't even give our spouses that chance to, to either be the one to call out or to answer. It just, we're shutting them out. And then number four, God says to us, I commit to protect you. I didn't give you this, but if you've never read this, I encourage you, maybe this week, an extra Bible reading, go read all of Psalm 91. God says over and over how he's going to watch out for us. It says in Psalm 91, verse 3, he says, for he will rescue you from every trap. Let me explain that one a little. The trap is the thing, is when you step in it. Everybody know what I mean by stepping in it? Do I need to elaborate? And it could be a hole. It could be something that grabs you. It could be something that just stinks and follows you around. But we step in it. We mess up. Then he says, I'm going to protect you from the deadly disease, from the thing, the the COVID, the, the, the cancer, the things that are coming after you. He said, I'm going to protect you. See, we ought to have that same same passion with my wife. He goes on to say in Psalm 91, 11, that he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. And see, I don't know about you. I'm going to speak to the guys for just a minute. If, if you don't have this attitude, you need to pick it up. That even with my kids, you don't disrespect mama. Doesn't happen. Even with Emma, sometimes I think she struggles to kind of understand the the, what I'm saying is not right. But even with her, uh-uh. No, we don't do that. I've shared this story many times, but years ago, the, the one time I thought I'm going to get myself in trouble was when a guy made Melanie carry Mabel in a baby carrier and get soaked coming from a car to a store. And there was no reason for it. And I thought you're past, we we're going to have a throwdown in the parking lot of a restaurant. Like, you just don't do that. Now, am I saying do stupid stuff? No. But God says, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be between you and whatever comes at you. That I'm, so, I'm going to give you a place to call home. I'm going to give you a place that you belong. I'm going to protect you. I'm always going to be there. The Lord says, I'll rescue those who love me in Psalm 91, 14. I'll rescue those who love me. I'm going to protect those who trust me. That your spouse needs to know they can trust you. That even when they screw up, I know I blew it. But I know you're going to watch over me. They don't need you getting on Facebook and telling everybody else what they did. And y'all looking at me, but we've done it. We do it. I just saw it the other day. People married for years, just bad-mouthing each other on That doesn't make me trust you. The devil's attacking marriages and we can't even protect each other. 
from what he's bringing against us? Are you asking yourself this question? Am I leaving you vulnerable? You know what it means to be vulnerable? If I can get it out. It means to be in a position where I can't defend myself. I'm open. That maybe you've got your back turned and you don't know it's coming. See, part of our job in this in this thing that God's got us together, this covenant, is she watches my back. And there's times when she's watching my back for my own mess. There's times where she's watching my back from the thing that's creeping up behind me that I don't even see. There's times for us and my family where I have to jump in front of something and go, no, I'm not here. We're not going to do that and protect. There's times even in my job and here as a pastor that I've, I've had to jump in between like, no, you're not coming after these people. These are, these are my people. This is our family. That are, are you leaving them vulnerable? And if the answer is yes, then we need to talk. I don't want to get further down the road and find out that, that your marriage is falling apart just because we wouldn't answer honestly these questions. Ushers, you guys can, can do your thing, and I'll give you number five. They're going to go ahead and dim the lights. Number five is probably the hardest and the most difficult one because God did this to us. He said, Clint, I commit to give you a way to come home. I commit that I'm giving you a way that no matter how bad you blow it, you can come home. And again, listen, I'm not talking about condoning abusive and violence and physical and mental abuse. No. He says, Clint, I'm giving you a way that when you blow it, you can come home. That God, I'll give you the, I even wrote it on the screen for you. It's in your notes. That God chose to extend mercy and grace even before you messed up. That you plan in your life, in your marriage. You go, listen, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. So you got to get a game plan. I've done another message. You can go look it up. Maybe we'll reteach it sometime called the fight plan. You got to, what's the rules? Are we boxing gloves with just gloves and that's all you got? Are we full on UFC? I'm going to kick you in the teeth and kick your shins and arm bar you and rip you to pieces. Two different sports. Yet we never think this is how we're going to argue. First, I'm going to give you grace and mercy, and then we're going to talk about it. Then we're going to go get some counseling. Then we're going to, that God gave me before I, the first time I blew it, he had already sent Jesus to give me grace and mercy. And people need it. The book of Micah in the Old Testament actually says that God gets excited about giving us grace and mercy. Yet I've never had anybody in our office, you know what? You know what, Pastor Clint? I am so excited. This dirtbag right here has done me wrong, has cheated on me, and today I get to give him mercy. That's not what, it's like this. And I'm going to give him a, and then I'm going to tell him where he can stick it and give it to him again, right? Well, it's such a foreign thought. Even in my own head, I got myself laughing in the office. Melanie was in the other room, and I never told her I was, I'm just thinking, that's just so absurd in our mental as, as humans. 
But God says, well, no, that's how deep and wide my love is that I can do that even before you screw up. How would that change marriages? That when your spouse blows it, let me ask you this. When your spouse blows it, do you make them stand in it? When the proverbial poop hits the fan, they mess up, do you make them just stand there in it? I showed you. Make you. They're not like a kid in a diaper. You, you did it in your diaper, you're going to sit in it. You just sit there and think about not going in the potty. Does that help? No. Typically, a kid just takes it off and throws it back at you. <laughs> Some of you adults do that too. Because God gave us a way to come home. 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, that he's faithful and just to not only take the stink off of us, but bring us back into the house. There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. And most of it you read, it's like, it's tough to get through. But it's where one of the, one of the most quoted and favorite, my favorite verses comes from. You guys can go ahead and stand. It's this, this verse here, and this is out of the message. And Lamentations 3.22 says that God's loyal love couldn't, could never run out. His merciful love can't dry up. That they're created new every morning. Some of you, I know, got spouses, you think, Clint, I'll be doing it every morning. Well, God did it for you every morning. God does it for me every morning. It goes on to say in verse 22, how great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with it. God said, I say it over and over. God, you're all I've got left. And again, I'll give you this line. God chose to extend grace and mercy even before you messed up. Once you bow your head and close your eyes, you say, Clint, I, I never met Jesus. I can't give Jesus if I don't have Jesus. Can't. You can't do that. So just for you, if you're online or in the room and say, I've never made Jesus my Lord, then the Bible says that you receive it, you confess it in your mouth, you believe it in your heart that Jesus came and died, paid the price for you, and rose again. A simple prayer of God, I messed up, forgive me. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Salvation is yours. Now for the rest of you, I'm going to pray over you and bless, bless your marriages today, bless your relationship. For those who aren't married, I'm going to bless the ones that are coming. So if you don't want to be married, then pass it on to somebody else. I'm just tired of marriages falling apart and us standing here and watching it. That if God can commit to us, we can commit to those people that we're in a relationship with. Amen. We're going to do something just a little bit different today, and we're going to try this in the future. Over to my right, your left, we always have people over here ready to pray for you. Normally we wait till after the last song, but starting today, if you just need somebody to pray with you while the lights are dim, you can walk over to whoever's over there. I think Eric and Gina are over there today. You don't have to tell them anything. You just say, I just need you to believe with me. And they're going to pray with you. So you can get out while the lights are low. And that way when they're done, you can go get kids. You don't have to feel like you're being in a hurry. But we want you to have that. But I'm going to pray and bless you. And then we're going to sing that song again because he's worthy of it all. Because he gave us his everything. There was no plan B. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for those in the room, those watching online. God, those who 
are single, God, those who are married, maybe God, even those who are coming off a, a divorce. God, I thank you for a restoration of relationships. That God, our marriages, our lives, our lives with our kids will emulate, will look like, will represent everything you just told us. Your commitments to us, God, that we make those commitments to our spouses. And God, when we don't get it right, we stand back up and we try it again. Because there's no plan B. God, we've only got you. We never look off our focus point, that commitment point. And God, we watch it. I can't wait to hear the testimonies of how good you are and the lives and the marriages that were healed. And we thank you for it now, Father. Because you're worthy. You're worthy, you're worthy. We thank you for it.